This time let's turn in our Old Testament to Daniel. We are coming toward the end of this book of Daniel, and we're at Daniel 12. Um, and to give honor to the Lord who gave us this word and gave the Holy Spirit to Daniel and spoke to Daniel through the angel, let's stand as we hear the word of the Lord through Daniel, Daniel 12, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. Let's pray together. We ask that you would help us, O Father, that you would give us that increase of knowledge spoken of in this, your word. Help us to understand that righteousness revealed once and for all to the saints, even that righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Help us to exalt you and to rejoice in your wonderful work, especially that in raising us to new life in Christ. Help us, we pray, help us to receive your word and to believe your word, for we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. The study of prophecy is fascinating, but as someone I know talks about the fact that Calvin never wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation means that end-time prophecy can be bewildering, and sometimes it maybe is something that you have to be very careful in studying. Now, in today's text, this is a fascinating piece of prophecy. Now, there's not everything that we can know for certain concerning the, this prophecy that's given here, but for the, the vast majority, I do believe it is straightforward if you let Scripture interpret Scripture. One notion you have to understand is that you're never going to look at a book of prophecy and come to an understanding of it unless you know the language of Scripture. Sometimes when Scripture talks about the sky rolling up like a scroll and the stars falling from the sky, you look at that and you read and you say, isn't this the end of the world? The world is coming to a great end. But if you read it in context, God's talking about judging certain peoples. So I want us to bear in mind that when we look at this text, 
we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. When you see a phrase in this text, think to yourself, well, where have I heard a similar phrase before? And we'll, we'll, I think that that'll help us a great deal. Now, I find this rather interesting that at the end of Daniel 11, the very last verse in Daniel 11, it's talking about the demise of a very wicked Greek ruler, you could say an emperor, Antiochus. It talks about him, he will come to his end and no one will help him. Thank God that God wiped out this evil, wicked Antiochus because Antiochus was a blasphemous man who set up abominations in the holy temple. He set up a, a Greek god in the holy temple. He also set up an image of himself that not only were the people, uh, God's holy people, the Israelites, to, to worship this Greek god set up in the, in the holy temple, but they were to worship an image of the king himself. And we could say that that was an abomination, an idol, an abomination that causes desolation. Now, the, another word, whenever you read the abomination of desolation, a desolation is something that causes horror. I think it's horrific that a Greek idol would be set up in the temple, in the sight of God, in the sight of God's people. It was a horror to have that abomination, that idol, set up in the holy temple. But you know what? There's more than one abomination that causes desolation. Because we're going to look at, in the Bible that there's another abomination of desolation. Another idol set up in the temple that causes horror in the sight of God and the sight of God's people. And we'll look at that in a little bit. So, okay, the end of Daniel 11, last verse of Daniel 11, is talking about the demise of the wicked ruler Antiochus, Epiphanes. The, who called himself the illustrious one. That's what epiphanies means. But then fast forward to chapter 12, verse 1. And this is an extended period of time that has come to pass. And I believe in, in verse 1, it's talking about the events of the first century. So it advanced all the way from the fall of, of Antiochus and the beginning of the Roman Empire to now, verse 12, um, chapter 12, verse 1, to the very beginning of the, we could tell you, the time of Christ. And we'll see this understanding of today's text in two main points. The first is the time of distress, of great distress. The time of great distress. And then secondly, we'll see the resurrection of the just and the unjust. So let's look first at this time of great distress. Verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people Everyone who's found written in the book will be rescued. Okay, before we go on, who is this Michael? Matthew Henry is a firm believer that Michael here is referring to Jesus Christ because he's called the Prince 
God's people. <clears throat> so my question is, well, I mean, there are merits to, to that interpretation. But I, I do want to read you what Calvin says concerning this. John Calvin wrote this. By Michael, many agree in understanding Christ as the head of the church. But if it seems better to understand Michael as the, as the archangel, this sense will prove suitable. For under Christ as the head, angels are the guardians of the church. Whichever be the true meaning, God was the preserver of his church by the hand of his only begotten Son. And because the angels are under the government of Christ, he might entrust this duty to Michael. You notice he leans towards saying Michael is an archangel under Christ who's doing the work of Christ. I, I think that's, that's good, but you know, he does acknowledge, you know, whichever it may be, he's not so firm. And I don't think the importance of what's written here is that we have to have an absolute understanding of, you know, God, is this speaking of Jesus or not? Well, you know, one day God's going to reveal it and we're going to have an absolute perfect interpretation when we go to glory. But I, to understand the rest of this text, we don't have to know whether or not it's absolutely Christ or the archangel under Christ. Now, one thing I am convinced of, if you look at this text, the time of great distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. I am 100% convinced that this is speaking of the destruction of Israel in 70 AD. And I'm going to give an argument for that. In order to understand that, I want us to look, keep your place in Daniel, but I want us to look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is an essential passage concerning the destruction of Israel in 70 A.D. <clears throat> Let's look at verses 1 through 3, and then we'll skip around a little bit. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to a point out of the temple buildings to him. And he said to him, to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. Key in understanding what follows in Matthew 24 is that there are three questions of, you could say, three separate questions here. When will these things happen? When will the temple be destroyed and all these stones be cast down from one from another? That's the first question. What will be the sign of your coming and what will be the end of the age? Okay, so the end of the age definitely is speaking of the end when Christ returns and the, 
the just and the unjust are judged. But the first question is, when will this happen that each stone will be cast down one from another? So Jesus begins to answer the first question. When will these things come to pass that one stone upon another will all be torn down? Look down at verse 15 and following. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. Okay, so this is during the time when the temple is still standing. There's going to be an abomination of desolation in the temple. Again, that was done under Titus just before the temple was destroyed. Okay? Okay, so he says, let the reader understand. He says, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the midst of the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation. Here's the key verse here. Great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. It's very similar to the language spoken of in Daniel 12 verse 1. A time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Okay? There's the parallel passages there. Um, he says, verses 22 and following, Unless those days had been cut short, nor life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. Okay. We're going to stop there, but then I do want to go and look at 24, 34. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Okay, one stone torn down from another, the temple destroyed, the great tribulation, nation rising against nation... All this stuff happened within the, a generation after the death of Jesus. Josephus records this event as one of the most traumatic destruction of God's people ever. You know, the, you, you read passages in Revelation about a horse going through a, a, a section of a city and the blood rising up to the, uh, up to the, the horse's, near the horse's mouth. That actually was recorded by Josephus. Some of the destruction and the slaughter in the city of Jerusalem was so great, you could say, as it mentions here, the distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. It was one of the most catastrophic destructions of God's people. But here's the thing. Jesus warned those who would listen Jesus warned his people in Matthew 24. He says, when you see these signs, get out. Get out. Get away. Get away from Judea. Get away from the promised land. Because destruction is going to come. The whole reason that John wrote the book of Revelation was to warn the people, primarily, 
of what was going to come to pass. So get out of the city because you want to avoid the destruction that's going to come to pass. Let's look at Revelation chapter 1. Okay, so Jesus said these things will happen within one generation, Matthew 24, 34. And listen to the words at the beginning of the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservant, here's the thing to listen to, the things which must soon take place. Within a generation? I think so. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. Again, for the time is near. The vast majority of the book of Revelation is referring to the great destruction, a time of distress such as the world had never seen and will never see again. That's how terrible that destruction was. Okay, so when you read Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, you look at it in light of Matthew 24, and you look at it in light of Revelation chapter 1, and I believe that makes sense, this time of great distress. And it says at the end of verse 1, At that time, your people, everyone who is written in the book, will be rescued. They were rescued. They, they listened to the word of God through Jesus and through John. And many of them were rescued. And even those elect who died were rescued through Christ, of course. Next, we'll get back to Daniel. He mentions the resurrection of the just and the unjust. Look at verse 2. After this. Now, another long span of time has passed. Verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Okay, so between verse 1 and verse 2 of Daniel 12, we have another fast-forwarding of history many, 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 many years thousands of years because after the this record of what's what's mentioned here in 70 AD he's now talking about something that is still yet future to us when the dead in Christ will rise and the dead who are due for eternal judgment will arise as well so again there's if you look at the end of Daniel 11 all the way to verse 3 of Daniel, of chapter 12, verse uh, 3, there's a fast-forwarding of history in rapid succession. Okay? So when we go back to Genesis, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 17, God warned Adam and Eve that 
when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if they did so, that they would surely die. He warned them not to. They could eat of any of the tree in the whole Garden of Eden, but not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they listened to the evil one, the serpent of old, who deceived them and gave them a somewhat of a half-truth. Oh, well, you won't die. Well, in a way that was kind of correct because they didn't die right away, but they eventually did die, didn't they? Adam lived on to a, a ripe old age and had sons and daughters, but he eventually did die. But one of the consequences that came into the world through this judgment of God upon Adam and upon all of his posterity was not just physical death, but an eternal death. Those who die outside of the Messiah, outside of faith in Christ, will suffer everlasting disgrace and everlasting contempt, everlasting dying, forever burning and yet never consumed, where the fire is never quenched and the worm is, never dies, but they're forever consumed for all eternity, eternally dying. Now, some of us who live in this world might say, you know, the resurrection is good news. It is. But if you're a pagan, the resurrection is not good news. If you're a pagan, the resurrection is terrible news for you. Because not only do you die and go to hell, but after the resurrection, you're, you're granted reunion with your body, and then you're cast, both body and soul, into a lake of fire, along with the devil and his minions, to suffer for all eternity. I think it's a, it's a bunch of baseless nonsense where the Jehovah's Witnesses believe in annihilationism, that, oh, well, those who don't believe in God or don't believe in their version of whatever they're trying to teach, they're supposedly being Jehovah's Witnesses, apart from Christ, that those who don't believe their way will be annihilated. That's not true. No one's going to be annihilated. They're going to continue to exist for all eternity, suffering for all eternity. Verse 3 says that those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. This pertains to those who have insight, or you could say, saving faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are given saving faith in Jesus Christ will shine as the brightness of the expanse of heaven. Now, let's turn to Revelation uh, 20 to take a glimpse of, of this beautiful doctrine. Revelation 20. I hope no one says Kevin loves Revelation 20 too much because he keeps citing it, but it's an it's essential passage. Revelation 20. Verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. This is after Christ comes back and descends 
from the sky with a great shout. Earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. And the, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which was in it, which were in it. And the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, and no longer be any mourning, or any crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Notice that for those who are in Christ, those, as Daniel would put it, who have insight, they will be granted to dwell in this glorious new heavens and new earth with the new Jerusalem descending down from heaven. Get, getting back to Daniel. It says here in Daniel uh, 12, verse 3, again toward the end, says, Those who lead the many, those who lead the many to righteousness, he's saying that they will be like the stars forever and ever. So, those who have insight and faith in, in Christ, they will shine. But he says, those who lead many to righteousness will be like the stars forever and ever. They will shine as well, maybe. Um, how do we lead a person to righteousness? Are any of us righteous, perfectly righteous? Not in and of ourselves. The only righteousness that we can have is the righteousness that comes by faith through Jesus Christ, according to Romans chapter 3. But another passage I do want to mention is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and following. Let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, think about yourself as one who seeks to lead others to righteousness. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. 
the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them. And he has committed to us the word, his holy word, of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. And here's the appeal that we tell people. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's how to lead them to the truth of righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You can only have the righteousness spoken of in this text and spoken of by Daniel chapter in chapter 12 through an, the righteousness of another that is the accounted, uh, imputed, reckoned righteousness of Christ given to the believer by faith. That Jesus not only became sin for us, but that he gives by those who believe in him a righteousness that comes from him. And that is how we can stand on that great day of judgment. Again, getting back to Daniel. He says in Daniel, he says in Daniel uh, 4, uh, 12, verse 4, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal them up, seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth. And here's the part that I want to focus on. He says, And knowledge will increase. Daniel, this is an angel speaking to Daniel, by the way. Seal up these things in a book. Many things will happen. Many will go back and forth. and thing, History will continue to play its part. But knowledge will increase. Now, what I believe concerning here is that there is a progressive knowledge given by God regarding the plan of salvation. What Daniel knew about God's plan of salvation is not what we know. Because thanks be to God, we have the whole story. What Daniel looked forward to in looking forward to the Messiah, we have seen the fullness of Christ coming. Abraham, we're told in John chapter 8, looked forward to Christ's day and was glad. He was saved by faith in the Messiah to come. We look back to the Messiah who's come and we've, we've heard his preaching. We've heard the, the interpretation of the preaching of Jesus in the, in the rest of the New Testament. Um, maybe you've heard me say this, but I love this. Uh, I, I never would have come up with this except for once um, one of the professors in seminary mentioned this. When Jesus preached himself on the road to Emmaus, 
Remember, he's risen from the dead, and he's walking with two people, and they don't understand. They don't see who I believe it's one of them is Peter. Um, he's walking with these two disciples, and they don't recognize Jesus because Jesus doesn't want them to recognize him because God has kind of blinded them to not recognize him at that moment. But they're walking on this road, and Jesus is preaching himself from the Old Testament until his coming, that he's the fulfillment of all these promises. I asked my professor, I said, well, why don't we have a recording of that sermon of Jesus preaching himself? Wouldn't that be the most magnificent sermon in the whole New Testament, Jesus preaching himself from the fullness of the, of the Old Testament? He says, you don't need it. That's what, that's, that's what my professor meant. She said, oh, you don't need that. What? Well, that's what the New Testament is. The New Testament, all of the epistles, think about it, Hebrews, the book of Matthew, uh, the book of Romans, all that, if you put all of that richness together, that's the equivalent of that glorious sermon of Christ where he preached himself from all the Old Testament and how he fulfilled all these things. So since the time of Daniel, knowledge has increased. I think it's a wonderful time to live in history that not only... Um, I, I know that things aren't the way that we would like for our church. We would love to see our church grow. We would love to see more saints coming into this church. But brothers and sisters, you've got a richness in, in this Word of God and I think we've been given a richness of, of a heritage, especially to understand um, the Holy Scriptures in a way that I think is, is inconsistent. I think covenant Reformed theology is a, is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And I think that an evidence of God's knowledge increasing is, is the understanding that God has granted us in this His Holy Word. So again, looking at today's text, there was a great time of distress but I believe that time of distress was foretelling the time when Christ came, shortly after Christ came, when the temple was destroyed. But then after that, he foretells the time that's still yet future, when the dead will arise, some to everlasting destruction and some to everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, you will shine like lights in the new heavens and the new earth because of the reflected glory of Christ. Put your faith in Him and you will shine as lights for the new kingdom. Let's pray together. Thank you, our Father, for this, your holy word. We thank you that you have given us a sure and steadfast word through the prophets, through the apostles, with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. We thank you for that wonderful glory that you have revealed in Christ. We thank you for the righteousness of faith for those who believe. Help us, we pray, to believe truly that you made your Son, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, and then by faith that we become the righteousness of God in Him. We thank You for the obedience of Christ. We thank You for the blood of Christ 
And we thank you for the imputed righteousness of Christ. Help us to have that true belief and then help us thereby bear forth much fruit as your sons and daughters. For we ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, I want us to turn to one of my absolute favorites, 387, Day of Judgment, Day of Wonders, 387.